G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on Your Impactful Journey. Legendary listeners, welcome back or welcome to the podcast. One of my goals with this show is to bring you a variety of guests from all walks of life to inspire and educate and influence you in how you can create your own life of impact, how you can become unbeatable in your mind, health, relationships, and in your business or career. One empowering method I've grabbed onto over the years is modeling. Finding mentors or coaches, either personally that I'm working with that are supporting me directly, or just listening to or reading mentors or coaches' content and modeling some of their actions or their mindsets, their beliefs, their philosophies, etc. And modeling those when they fit in with and resonate with me. We should never try and be that person that we're modeling. And often I've found that there's traits of them of some of these mentors or people that I'm inspired by, there's there's some traits that I don't resonate with. So I won't model those traits or attributes. But there's other elements of their success journeys that I'll pluck out and implement. And as we talk about the implementation, this is also known as standing on the shoulders of giants. So I trust that all the guests on this podcast have given you the same opportunity to model some of their behaviors and attributes and mindsets that align with your values and philosophies. And when there's ones that don't align with you, you've just kind of parked them. Preston Brown is a speaker, entrepreneur, and multiple eight-figure business owner specializing in disruptive innovation and profitability scaling companies. Preston has 18 successful automated operating businesses with gross revenues of over $180 million. He is an expert in finance, business, and psychology, and has advised hundreds of CEOs and entrepreneurs on how to grow, scale, and optimize their companies. This is a really high-energy chat with Preston, high-energy from him. And when I finish the recording... He and I chatted about his businesses for another 45 minutes and he blew my mind with some of the amazing communities and impact that he's created. I'll have to get him back on one time to to talk about that or you can follow his journey around what he's created there. Now, just a warning, if you're into political correctness, you're probably not going to vibe with this episode. But in this episode, we discuss what it means to live on purpose with purpose how living purposefully has increased Preston's business success significantly, how Preston's father passing away was a catalyst for him to shift from corporate ego-driven jerk into a heart-centered philanthropic entrepreneur. We discuss midlife mediocrity and how it affects all of us, masculine and feminine energies and how to understand them better to positively influence our relationships and our working life, we discuss Preston's guides to measuring your business success through formulas, and we cover so much more around thriving in the human experience. Preston discusses his formulas and references some great books, and I've linked those in the show notes to this episode. Just a quick reminder that uh, if you're enjoying this podcast, I'd be abundantly grateful if you could support my mission and purpose of impact by sharing this podcast with any friends, families, colleagues, or anyone else that you believe will also get value from the show. And giving it a rating and review is also a great help. Okay, now let's hear from the legend himself, Preston Brown. So Preston, what does it mean to live on purpose and with purpose? On purpose and with purpose. God, Brian, I love how you start out questions. You you like go right for the source, huh? 
No foreplay. <laughs> this is fun. Okay, so on purpose with purpose, brother. Let's dive in. Living on purpose is really a simple concept. And, and I'm going to frame it way of a question. Have you ever been angry? Yes. Have you ever been like pissed off, enraged, depressed, sad, miserable, any of those? All of the above. Would you consciously choose any of those emotions? No. So let's go ahead and take a little coincidence and we're going to a story where coincidences are clues if you want. Um, if we wouldn't choose any of those emotions and we know that consciousness is what makes us human beings, would you agree with that statement? Yes. And we know the subconscious mind is where patterns are derived. Then if Absolutely. consciousness makes us human, does subconsciousness make us subhuman? Anytime you get one of those emotions, all it is, is it's an indicator. It's like the check engine light on a car. It's saying, hey, let's look at something so that we can get back into you driving. Let's not let the pattern drive. Let's let you drive. Now, there's nothing wrong with an indicator, okay? If you don't have cold, you're not going to enjoy heat. If you don't have darkness, you're not going to enjoy light. If you don't have some anger every now and then, you're not going to enjoy some love. So, but the key is not staying there. I mean, the human experiences, we're not dead yet. We're not in heaven. We're not in some utopian nirvana yet. Like, so we're here to deal with some problems. And I think life is about dealing with problems in an elegant way where we show up, we're excited, we're having fun and, and, and maybe we fall in love with the problem because on the other side of that door is a solution. I mean, everybody looks for what they want. They want the law of attraction. They want, Oh, I want to get anything I want. Well, let me tell you what, I've never seen God give you anything that you want. I've seen him give you all sorts of opportunities to get what you want, but it's normally in the form of a problem you solve. Once you have that outlook and that belief model, and the understanding that those little coincidences, that the problems are the gifts and you fall in love, there's no controlled landing, it's kind of like a bang, a fall, right? Then you fall in love with the problem, you've humbled yourself, and the reason that the oceans are the largest bodies of water on earth is that they are humble enough to rest beneath the rivers, lakes, and streams, and everything flows into them. Then you recognize the indicator and you say, oh shit. I wouldn't choose this emotion. What's the source? What's the real source? Find the source. Figure out the problem. There's the problem that is. It's the emotion. Then there's the problem that caused the problem that is. If bad times equal the best opportunities, then what bad time gave me this so that I could find the opportunity? Where's the silver lining right behind this failure? And then you go for it. And generally, at least in my experience, everything seems to work out. <laughs> <laughs> so in relation to the question around purpose what 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 i understand i'm picking up what you're putting down and there's lots of gold in there and we could probably spend the whole we could probably wrap up the podcast right there and say there's the life experience right there let's let's just sit with that and uh and and run with it but in terms of purpose when you say living on purpose with purpose because i think purpose is a word that can get a bit, a bit um confusing or misconstrued with a lot of people so what what do you have a purpose? What does it mean for you to live on purpose, with purpose? So I have a belief that facts may tell, but stories sell. Do I have time to tell a quick story? Please do. I'll have a good story. All right. So do you have a purpose? Because that's what a lot of people are going to ask. They're going to say, what is my purpose? What's my life purpose? Why am I here? What am I doing? And I, I, I can't answer that question, but I can tell you why I'm here. I can tell you what I'm doing. I can tell you the worst moments in my life that turned out to be the best moments in my life. Because everybody in life that has all their needs met is looking to turn and help others in the way that they were helped. Everyone becomes benevolent when all their needs are met. But there's a wound that was somewhere in there that you need to turn into a scar before you can show up and deliver for others. Okay? So, for me, it began when I was a young kid. I mean, I, I, I lived in a beautiful family, lots of love, great dad. He was actually my stepdad. The guy chose me. Like, he met my mother while she was pregnant, chose her while she was pregnant, and became my father. And he was a better father than most blood fathers ever are. So I was a very lucky kid. Lots of love. This guy was a badass, by the way. He was like six foot two. He, no, I'm sorry. My, I'm six foot two. He was six foot four. And... He was the star football player on his freaking uh, football team. You can tell that I am not athletic. He was a member of Mensa, which 
is this like high IQ group, genius guy. And he always worked in engineering. And he was just a hero of a father to me because he always made time. Well, one day in this little trailer park we lived in in uh, Canyonville, Texas, he decides, hey man, uh, I don't want to have a job anymore. I don't want to work as some engineering tech here, here, here. And I think he was working at Raytheon at the time, making like 20, 30 grand a year. And this is back in the 80s. And uh, he decides, no, I, I want to go out. I want to open my own business. I want to solidify our financial dreams. I want to get there. And my dad was a beautiful man. He was a beautiful engineering guy. He could go create things. He could make things. But he wasn't a guy that understood people, business, or money. In fact, money never really mattered to him. He didn't know how to bill. He didn't know how to collect. He didn't know how to charge. And what he did know is how to make a quality product. He went to work. He went into this little shed next to our house, and he worked, and he worked. Like sometimes 6 a.m., 8, 9 p.m. at night, he would come out. I remember we were poor. There's a lot of love, but we were poor. My mom and I, we uh, stole an air conditioner, one of those evaporative cooling units, to install in the shed from another yard. I mean, hopefully they didn't want it. Hopefully it was trash. <laughs> but like literally as a kid, like at full disclosure, we stole a freaking air conditioner from somebody. We installed that in the shed just so we wouldn't die of heat stroke while it was working. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, as this is going on, this is probably two, three months in to my dad chasing his dreams. My mom loses her job. And when she loses that job, as you can imagine, money starts getting scarce. And eventually, when money gets scarce, people don't always live on purpose. They have some of those things called emotions or energy in motion that affect them. And uh, mom and dad are fighting. I'm sitting in the living room. I think I was playing Duck Hunt, if I remember. If you remember that game, I might be a little older. I'm probably aging or dating myself there. Um, (laughs) I'm sitting there playing Duck Hunt, and I, I hear this huge bang. It was one of those cast iron frying pans got through at the wall and my mother was just pissed and there was a lot of words said i don't remember all of them i remember these though she said a real man can feed his family if you don't go collect what you're owed don't come home my dad just wow. said, come on we're going i didn't know what i was going to but i was scared i've not seen anything like this i mean i'm young I'm, i haven't experienced i mean any of this level of pain and my mom just told my dad don't come back unless you get paid. I don't even think I had a full concept of money. Well, we drive up to a house. It's not far from a house I live in now. And my dad goes in and here's a six foot four man standing next to this guy that's probably five foot nine that he's done a lot of work for. And I know exactly what's going to happen. Like I'm, I, I, you could see right through it. Like, here's my dad. He could kill this guy with a napkin. He's going to demand what he's owed. We're going to get paid. We're going to go home. Except I was wrong. This little guy turned around and owned my father. I watched my father's shoulders going forward, forward, forward. I watched what turned into a commanding demand. Go to an ass, go to a bed, go to a grovel. I watched this man who like caught the football in one end zone and ran it to another end zone in high school get completely defeated by this little pipsqueak of a man that knew how to manipulate a man for money. My dad eventually compromised because he was a beautiful man. He chose to be my mother's husband. He chose to be my father because he knew there was not another choice if he wanted us. He collected a fraction of what he was owed, settled his business. We drove to the local Smith's, which was a grocery store, and I rode back with a box of ramen noodles on my head. We didn't say a word. That was the first day in my life where I ever experienced hatred, and it was one of the hardest days of my life. I mean... And that compounded with my mother being a psychology gal. She used to always say, figure out the game. Figure out how you win. If you know the game, you know how to win. Everybody has a game. And I never wanted to be manipulated with money. I had my first business, like selling lemon juices in like middle school. I had my next business. And like, I think a year later in middle school, I was painting house numbers on driveways. I was making like 1500 to two grand a week. My mom was making two grand a month. I was making 1500 a week. She was like, I should work for you. Like, are you dealing drugs? I was like, no, I'm painting driveway numbers. Like if it's one, two, three, on these three, I'm painting 10 bucks a driveway. I just... And I would have my friends, I'd pay them like 50 bucks a day. They'd go knock on the doors, the ones that could sell. I was hiring people as like a freaking 14-year-old kid to go out and just case streets and like do this. And, and I was creating money. And, and, and it was beautiful because there was a game and I knew how to win. But what it turned into got very dark. I turned into a corporate savage. I figured out games and I figured out how to win. And if you've ever studied love, I didn't know what love was. I didn't know the difference between unconditional love or conditional love. And I became very conditional, very transactional. I would go into industries 
and wipe out the weaker competitors, take market share, and grow like a weed. And I was such a nerd sitting in the backdrop that nobody knew who I was. They all thought that I was some evil bastard. Here's, here's just something for your listeners. The lion doesn't tell a story the hunter will. I mean, I have one guy who's a friend that I did business with, and he didn't like me. Before we did business, this is kind of heavy. He made me this Darth Vader mask. It's made out of nuts and bolts. This thing weighs about 80 pounds. So mm-hmm. he like the first day I called him, I was like, hey, dude, we do this, this, and this. And he was like, why is the devil calling me? I was like, the devil? What? But this is how transactional I was. I went in, I figured out systems, I figured out what customers wanted, I figured out formulas, I figured out all this crap. And I'd go in and I just mow through an industry. I have 18 companies now, we're doing hundreds of millions in revenue. And I wasn't happy. I was miserable. I had a shit marriage with my wife, but I had money coming in everywhere. I was a corporate piece of shit. Well, that guy and I that made me that, we did a deal. He made a lot of money. And he actually saw through me. He was a beautiful man. But he said, you know, I hope one day you let people see your heart. I made you this. And I was like, what is it? He said, everybody thinks you're the devil. And they're all nuts. But they're only nuts because that's all you show. And it fucking hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh, my God. But I didn't know what to do. I still, I, I, I didn't get the lesson. Until a few years later, that was probably, I don't know, 2016 or something. 2019, my dad, my hero, the main guy in my life, sat down in his favorite chair and he went to sleep. He didn't wake up. He just went home. Let's fuck myself up with this part of the story. And there was a game I couldn't win. Everything mom had taught me about figure out the game, figure out how you win, figure out the game. It was, it was bullshit. All the transactional conditional stuff was gone. I couldn't, I mean, I was remodeling her house. I was helping my sister buy a house. I was doing all these things to try to help. There was no help, Brett. My heart was fucking broken. And uh, luckily, I, 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 a few weeks after this situation, after I remember watching The Walking Dead on TV and looking at the zombies and thinking, they look better than I feel. I, uh, wound up hanging out with a very beautiful person in my life. And he said the following line. He said, uh, you're not suffering because your dad's gone. You're suffering because your expectations for him to still be here. Man, I wrote down expectations of the mother of all suffering. And I went to war with those expectations. And I started wiping them out. And this is where living on purpose came from. It taught me that love was the meaning of life. It taught me the differences between the levels and the layers of love and how they're all structured. What was funny is I was probably worth 10 or $20 million at that time. And now my wealth is combined, compounded to 10 and 20 times that amount, but not because I'm working harder. In fact, I'm working much less. I'm giving much more. I'm, I'm spending quality time. I'm falling in love all the fucking time. I'm forgiving as often as I shower. Like I'm doing all these different things that sound completely contrarian to a businessman's world and all of my businesses are growing extremely. You know, what is my purpose? I believe if you have a purpose, it implies that you solve a problem. My purpose is to hopefully help other entrepreneurs whose goal is not to become a slave to money like my father, skip a 15 to 20 year journey that I had to ride. It took me 15 to 20 years to figure out love is the meaning of life, not money. I have all the money. And I had to miss time with my father and other family members for that amount of time because I didn't understand the true value. Now I teach others because, hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with the wound. The wound was a fucking gift. But if you can't turn it into a scar, you'll never help others. And hey, man, go take a year or three to fuck that up. Bail forward. Nothing wrong with it. Don't take 10. Don't take 15. As entrepreneurs, we are creators. Earning money is slavery. We create wealth. We change the fucking world. But if we're doing it in a mental slavery, because we don't understand, we don't have the humility to sit and understand the true meaning, the true value, the true testament to who we are, the purpose that we have, the problem that we solve, the worst fucking moment in our life was also the greatest gift if you find the beauty in it. And so that's how I found purpose. Now my purpose, I help other entrepreneurs. Sometimes I'm bored, I go start another company. You know, 
that shit. That's that's my purpose, and hopefully it helps a few others find this. Yeah, I'm sure it will, and I'm sorry to hear about the loss, and thank you for um, thank you for sharing that from a vulnerable place. Many people relate to that. And I'm very similar. My long-term listeners of this podcast know my story that my grandparents who are my best friends and my idols and my mentors they were murdered in their own home by their own son my uncle and amazing community members amazing entrepreneurs themselves and and part of my purpose because i believe purpose we get to choose what it is like you chose what your purpose is and everyone does and we have multiple purposes in different areas and part of my purpose to is to enhance and optimize their legacy and i get to choose how i do that and part of that is through enhancing and optimizing community and similar to you with um, entrepreneurs, but communities at large through this podcast, through some other work that I do and charity work through mental health organizations and things like that. So thank you for sharing that. I'm sure a lot of people are resonating with that. One thing that I want to touch on too, that you actually highlighted that this has been an experience of yours in one way and terminology that I've given to it, I've been studying for a while because I've been working with mostly men. I've had uh, worked with a lot of women as well, but I mostly focus on working with men these days. And one thing that's become really evident to me that the terminology that I've given to it is uh, midlife mediocrity. So when I study what midlife is, it's they say that midlife is between the ages of 35 and 50. And what I've noticed is this midlife mediocrity is when Guys, it happens with women. I'm, I'm just going to speak with men because that's who I work with mostly. Guys get to this age group and they might be doing well, uh, got got you know got a great job or a great business. They're earning good money. They've got the wife. They've got the kids. They've got some toys. It doesn't necessarily mean they're rich and rolling in money, but they've got some toys and a boat and a caravan. And you know, externally life looks pretty good, but internally they're not depressed. But just something's missing. They just can't put their finger on their pulse. They thought. They thought things would be different. They thought things would be better by now. And there's just this this lack of feeling. And as I hear you speak, it sounds like that's an experience that you have had. And um, and I, you know, you know this space. And I say this without judgment, but um, I think this is seems to be a quite a normal experience for like a hustle and grind mentality when we push ourselves into. And we, a lot of the guys seem to think they get really disappointed too because they think, well, I was doing it for the family. And I was doing it for all of these things. And now I spend less time with the family. Uh, my health is impacted. Yeah, I've got these toys, but I can't use them as much. And it, it just starts to really eat into them. So you've shared that you have experienced that. I'd be happy if you elaborated. But do you also come across that with other people? That Because I believe that you kind of work in the space now. What you said, your purpose is around helping entrepreneurs. Is this some a common thing that you see and experience, this midlife mediocrity? Uh, so it's going to happen with all men. And uh, I'll share a book for an author who is absolutely fantastic when it comes to this, this entire arena. Men go through a journey, okay? And I'm, this is not my personal content. This is a lady named Alison Armstrong, but I, I coached her team. I love the woman. She was one of the first speakers our travel agency ever hired. And she's absolute beautiful mind, beautiful soul. For the men, go read her book, Keys to the Kingdom. For the women, read that one too. You want to understand your man? You want to bond with him, heart and soul? You want to understand the journey this guy's on? Oof, read the book because every man starts with his journey. And for What's it called? The, Sorry, Keys to the Kingdom. Keys to the Kingdom. He the is kingdom. the kingdom. He is the kingdom. And um, for the women, go read the Queen's Code. You're going to learn so much about the different archetypical personalities. And to talk a little bit about men, to talk a little bit about women, because I work with both. Like we, we, and when you're looking at people, you have to make sure that you understand where they're at. I mean, everything in coaching, everything in moving the needle for a person is, is the first thing you do is you find out where they're at and you find out, okay, you're here. We got you. You're there. We need to get you here. That's where progress is going to take you to get you at least happy right now. And we'll have to figure new goals and get you there. Mm. Um, but, but for right now, you're here, you're stuck, you're unhappy. Progress equals happiness. Let's get you moving because that's what life's about. And, 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 and if you don't start looking into the genders really aggressively, and I know that's a weird time to even say the word gender. I'm sorry, this is controversial, but I'm only going to talk on two. Because that's all the content I got. If there's 10,000 others, I've had the content on that. There needs to be another author that writes a book. So for these two, I'm going to stick to the normal, traditional 10,000-year-old men and women framework. And not to offend anyone, that's just all I have. Um, but men are born and women are born 
slightly different, okay? Men are born with a certain percent of masculine energy. It's very results-oriented energy. Women are born with feminine energy. Men are born a certain percentage, masculine, feminine. They never change. If you're 70-30, that's where you stay. If you're 80-20, that's where you stay. There's some men that are more masculine. There's some men that are less masculine. There's some men that are more feminine than masculine. That's okay. You're born with a certain percentage, and you stay there. Women are born 100% feminine. If you have a daughter, you've seen her, you, you, like when she's two years old, she's dancing, she's singing. She learns all that result stuff. Women build masculine like a muscle over time. Our society very much conditions that. So they have all this masculine and feminine power. Women are not born with, and this is so controversial. This is, this is weird stuff. They're not born with a purpose the way that men are. They're born with a different kind of purpose. They're about creating spaces, creating environments, creating love, creating all of these different things that, that women do that men can't do. I mean, it's just it's just not something we have the skill set for. Men, man, we're conquerors, we're hunters, we are builders, we're creators, we're out there. But we have two needs. One is the thing we're going to create. And two is feminine energy. Opposites do not attract. Opposite energies attract. Okay, so if you have a strong masculine and a strong feminine, they're going to polarize each other. They're going to attract. You could be unattracted to the person physically and, and, and say, like, if we're men, if a woman who we're not attracted to walks by, but she is in her feminine. She's like flowing, dancing. You could feel it. Like and women, when they're in their feminine, they're energetically connected to the universe. Okay, she walks by full feminine. We're going to look. Not even that we're attracted. We're just going to look because the polarity. Okay, so let me get into the stages of man, all right, because that's kind of the question you're asking, because you're asking about a stage that Allison calls the tunnel. The tunnel. The first, the tunnel is what she calls midlife crisis, which is what you're talking about, okay? I'm talking more midlife mediocrity, but that leads to midlife crisis if it's not worked on. Right. And, and the tunnel is going to happen for every man. It could be two weeks, or it could be the rest of your life and you die and so the midlife mediocrity that you're talking in the tunnel language, I mean, when you read this book, you're going to love this book. You're going to love Alice. Sounds I can, like it. <laughs> I, can, I can connect you with her if you want because she's brilliant. Do. Men, they start as what's called a page, okay? Now, the page wants to be a knight. The page, I mean, if you, do you have a little boy? Yeah, three-year-old boy, one-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Okay, you can already see it. He's going to show you how strong he is. And he's going to yeah, he loves bunk it. <laughs> bed with a ladder. He's going to climb the side of the bunk bed. Dad, look at what I can do. He's just showing you that he's a badass, right? <laughs> Full masculine, like little badass. He's a page. Now, in the old days, the page, his goal was to become a knight. Once he got the horse, once he got the sword, he was going to become a knight. He was going to go out and find adventures, figure out what his dreams were, what his kingdom was, where he wanted to go create, build, right? Well, the night, once they graduate, now it's more like, okay, did you get a job? Did you get a car? That's the new sword and the new horse, right? Then they go out and they're like, all right, what can I do? And yes, they're very interested in the maiden. They're very interested in the feminine energy. We can get that from mom for a time. But eventually, like, we're looking for it in a deeper way, right? And so as we're growing and we go to night, we start adventuring. This is not necessarily the time that women and men should always come together unless you have a very accepting woman because that man's going to be wild. Okay, he's going to be wild, he's going to be crazy, he's going to be on this journey, he's going to be learning, he's going to be this, that, and the other. Then he goes into this next stage. Once he kind of identifies, okay, you know what? I think I want to go do this. I want to be a builder. I want to be an attorney or I want to do this or I want to do whatever he decides, which means he's starting to cut off some options because as a little boy, what did we want? We want to be the astronaut. We want to be the president. We want to be this. We want to be this. We add a dream after dream after dream after dream after dream after dream. Once we have the income dream, we start cutting off other income dreams, okay? At least for now. And we enter this stage called Prince. And Prince is interesting because there's three stages of Prince. Early Prince, I'm really deciding and refining who I want to be. Middle Prince, I'm on a journey. This is where the man, he loses time, okay? He's building his kingdom in one case. But in addition to building his kingdom, he's also got to keep the maiden happy if he has her. And this is where women start seeing the men distance themselves because they don't know how to manage both. They don't have enough time. There's like, you know, 24 hours in a day and 
she needs this many and my boss needs this many or my school needs this many. And, oh, then you see him getting stressed. If a woman can support a man here, whoo, he's going to build you a beautiful kingdom. And you're going to get through that stage so quick. If you don't support him, middle prince goes longer. You wind up with divorce. Women not understanding the middle prince stage, which is a man's building stage, and men need to build. It's a need. We need to create. We need to hunt. We need to conquer our territory. If a woman doesn't understand that, go be gay. You don't want a man. Go find another woman. Because all men, that's all of us. Okay? And when he goes and does that, guess what he's going to focus on? You, baby. Because every man's heart is generosity. And once he's met those needs, once he's built his kingdom, he makes you that queen. It's amazing. After he gets through middle prince, he goes to late prince. Late prince is this glorious stage. He's basically a king, but he's got to go through this stage called the tunnel to get to king. And he gets there and he's arrived at his goals and he's starting to be happy. And he's starting to be perfect. He's starting to be everything. But there's a surprise coming. The rest of those dreams that he had as a child are going to catch up with his reality. And he's going to realize, oh, shit, I'm 40, 50 years old. It took me this long to get here. Mm -hmm. I don't have time for all those. I'm not going to make it that long. And this is where a man and men are internally motivated, whereas women are externally motivated. Women feel their environments. And, and, and I'll prove it. You're married, right? Correct. Go in after this podcast. Say, hey, I just talked to this crazy guy. I made a claim that he understands women. Okay? That'll piss off some viewers. And you go and you ask her. You say, this guy said that you guys have a very different type of focus, whereas us men have extreme focus. And there's times where you talk to me, just like every woman on the planet tries to talk to a man, and you think I'm ignoring you. I didn't ignore you. I was just neurologically wired to hear you, to not hear you, based on 40,000 years of human history where men went hunting, killing an animal that would try to kill them back. And they were so fucking required to focus that they were neurologically programmed not to process information from anything else but what they were focused on. It's an extreme focus. It's a gift only men have. Women don't have that. By the way, women who are watching, if you want your man's focus, he didn't ignore you. He just didn't hear you. Put your hand on him. It overrides the senses. All of a sudden, you'll own his soul. Go ask men. Go ask women about this. Women realize that men are not ignoring you. Now, women, on the other hand, have this beautiful thing called diffused awareness. 40,000 years of history in a woman, they were out gathering nuts, roots, berries, fruits in the meadow. One set of berries would nourish their family. The next set of berries would kill their children. Do you think it was critical that they might be communicating with one another on which one was dangerous? Yeah, which is also why women talk more than men. Uh-huh. Yeah, all of these things started to come into alignment, right? Well, with diffused awareness, they had to start learning to feel their environments. They were watching children. They were dealing with the men who were having issues. They were solving this problem. They had an entire tribe, and they felt the environments. Men, ask your wife if when she walks into the home, the reason she can't sit down and watch TV when you do, and the reason you do that is your body's rebuilding testosterone. Women, men need to do that for 30 minutes to an hour a day. After that, he's being a lazy fuck. But for 30 minutes to an hour a day, if you don't want your man to be an estrogen-laden pussy, give him 30 minutes to an hour a day to recharge. Look at male lions. They literally lay down all day. Why? They're recharging for the big fight. Men are results oriented. They need to recharge. But the woman can't sit down. Why? She can feel the mess the kids make. Ask her. Look at her eyes and ask her. She can feel the mess the dog made. She can feel the unmade bed. She can feel that grandma needs her to call because there's something wrong here. She got a text message earlier. She's literally being pulled. There's voices in her head. She has to solve all the problems. She's not even necessarily prioritizing them. She's just got to get to the next one first and this and that and this and that and this and that. And that's why, men, you're stressed out because you don't understand her needs. You know what? You go say, hey, babe, which one of those can I take care of? Because you know she's feeling them. Even if you don't know what she's feeling, she'll tell you. She likes to talk. You go help her with two or three. Holy fuck, this one's going to be eating out of your hands. And women, don't yell at him for ignoring you because he fucking didn't. You just don't live in his skin. You don't know how he works. Don't prevent him from having 30 minutes to an hour a day. Your marriages will compound. Now, anyway, that was a little side note on men and women. But getting back to what we were on, which is that midlife crisis, when he's experiencing all of those different things that he doesn't have time to do, he's not going to be the president. He's not going to be an astronaut. Maybe he became a lawyer, a doctor, a builder, a businessman, whatever. But he got one, and every little boy has hundreds of dreams. My little boy wants to be a ninja. He also wants to be a builder like me. He wants to be a public speaker. 
He wants to go to space. Every day he tells me things he wants to do. He wants a Bugatti. Daddy's buying a McLaren and he's like, no, dad, we should get a Bugatti. I'm like, you know what, dude? Like, you know, I, I, I come from a poor upbringing, like spending 350 grand on a car is already a stretch in my mind. Maybe not my wallet, but my mind. I'm not spending two million bucks on a fucking car. I just, I can't yet. <laughs> Give me a year or two. But he wants a Bugatti in different colors for every day of the fucking week. So let's play. What if a man, when he hits that midlife mediocrity, started hitting a tunnel where he's like, fuck, man, I got to give up on all of my dreams, all of the ones that I don't have yet. And this is where a man starts becoming a king. This is where a prince starts becoming a king because the heart and soul of a real man, and there are, there are boys out there and there are men, mm-hmm. but a real man is true generosity. And once he can truly give up, on a lot of these things that did not matter to him. They weren't his purpose. They weren't the problem he solved. Once he can let go of those, he gets more power in his fucking pinky finger than he's ever had in his entire body. He takes off like a fucking rocket ship. He changes your life. You get a new level of safety and certainty and love and joy. But here's the thing. Most women don't understand this tunnel he's going through. They don't understand that mediocrity that that man is going through because it's self-imposed. He's internally motivated. Mm. And as he's going through it, if you sit there and you realize that he is vulnerable and men, we don't talk about our problems, but you know what vulnerability equals? Credibility. If you sit down with him and you say, hey, babe, I can see something's going on. I just want you to know I'm here for you. You will go deeper with that man in that fucking tunnel than he's ever gone to. He will give you more of his heart and soul to you at that moment, in that two weeks to two years or whatever it winds up being, and it's going to be a lot faster if the woman buys into it, than he's ever given you. You will deepen your relationship 10,000-fold. And as he gives up on everything else, he will buy into you at a level that will change your fucking life in so many ways. But you have to be understanding. You have to be humble. I've watched it in dozens of people. I keep fucking thinking of them as I'm telling the story. Man, you're making me cry, Brett. Um, <laughs> but I've watched it in dozens of people. Once you give them the understanding of how to do it, they all fucking do it. They all do it. Because everyone has love as the meaning of life. And as men get through that tunnel, as they get through that mediocrity, man, they come out like a fucking rocket ship, a tiger, a lion. They own their space. And once yeah, they that, know their purpose, it's perfect. Yeah. Sorry. It's that, like you said, the, the understanding, but also the permission. A lot of the work that I do with men is we um, uh, we hold space for each other and it's topical based and it's limited. But then beyond that, I then challenge them to take that and ask someone else to hold space for them so they can share that vulnerability and, and speak from, from the heart and the truth as opposed to their actions trying to show their worth um, and, and it's super empowering what you're saying there. It's, it's really interesting. We're going to look at the, the, the keys to the kingdom book. There's a lot of things that you're saying there that just tick a lot of boxes of, of what I see and, and hear with people I work with as well. So it, one thing that I want to come back to just on a bit of a funny side of things, as you were talking about the, um, the women feel the unmade bed and feel the mess and everything like that. My wife and I, it, it's a joke, but it, sometimes it's not a joke. I can walk into the home because we both work from home most of the time. I can sit down and not notice that there is a complete mess around us from the kids. There's toys and shit everywhere. There's a complete mess. And I'm boom, I'm focused, I'm on point. And she cannot understand it. She is she needs the place to not be spotless, but to be tidy and have this working space. And it took us years to for me to I I kind of judged it, but now I get it. And you kind of put the icing on the cake with that as well. So part of what we do now, I know that that's the case. So I'll help her and I'm like, cool, I don't need this, but you need this. And like I'm in it, I'm in it with you. So we know right. through that um through that work together that at least she's able to settle into the space and get her work done. Although I could get the bomb around me. I want to compound that to a different level for you that I think will blow your mind. So, and and I I love economics. I love psychology, but one of my greatest passions is history. Before World War II, Brett, women didn't work. Not in a significant way. 
Most of them were creating spaces, creating environments, creating all of these things. And I, I'm not a proponent of that. I'm not suggesting we need to go back. Okay. During World War II, when the men went to war, women who did not have a need for productivity and financial purpose and all that found out they liked it. You know what I don't have a need for, bro? Cheeseburgers. But I fucking love them. I love them. I mean, I have a fucking relationship with a cheeseburger. Like on my birthday, I don't care what diet my wife puts me on. And for 40, I'm keeping up. I'm better than my 20-year-old self. For my birthday, I will have the sloppiest fucking cheeseburger. I have a relationship with it. I like it. So you know what? Women went to work in the same way. And they found, holy shit, we like this stuff. We like purpose. And they actually bettered the workplace. They bettered the market. Why? Because where men have that extreme focus, women have diffused awareness. What do you think they did to environments they worked with? They improved them dynamically. Mm -hmm. They brought an emotional intelligence. So I, I, I'm not by saying that promoting that women stop going to work. Okay, please keep going. What I'm promoting is it wasn't a need. It was a want. When you understand needs, man, you can deepen so much. For men, it's a need. You want to know why so many men out there are emasculated pussies? Because they're not meeting their needs. They're not allowed to be men. They're so fucking terrified of the women that have been trained to outperform them in every fucking way that they're emasculated. Their bodies literally start producing, through the progesterone, more estrogen, reducing testosterone. And you can literally look at this in lab work over the last 100 years. Men used to be 800 to 1,200. Now they're like healthy normals, like 250 or plus. Of testosterone measurements. Yeah. I'm sorry if you're over 250, you're not fucking healthy. Testosterone increases focus. It increases power. It gives you the ability to grow muscle. Like if a man is supposed to be, for, I don't know, last forever, 800 to 1200 oscillation. I mean, if you're like 800 to 900, that's fine. 900 to 1000, that's fine. But you should be oscillating somewhere in that range. Guess what? Your body is literally more feminine. You can literally be a woman with male genitalia biochemically. Only the man's brain is not wired for it. We can't handle it. The woman's brain is so much more diverse, okay? Because men have one archetypical character. We all want to be a superhero every day of the week. Women have, well, probably 300,000, but we can root it down to three, okay? There's three characters. And men, if you've ever watched your woman, she could switch like that. There's one character that was designed to attract the man. Allison calls her this uh, playful temptress. I don't remember what she calls her, but it's highly feminine. Polarity, right? Opposites attract. Then there's another half masculine, half feminine. We call that the mother. Then there's another one, masculine as hell. This is that chick that drives the truck. You go back 40,000 years, this is when all the men were out hunting, but the men from another tribe came in to steal your shit and kill your kids. The women would pick up spears and defend. They would go all masculine, results oriented. A woman can switch archetypes like that. Mm. Okay. And, and men don't even know what to do. She could be mothering. We don't care about that because we're not kids, right? But if she's in that playful feminine and something goes wrong with the kids, she switches to the mother. No man's ever been like, I want to fuck my mother, like unless you're really strange. But we're like, wait, what happened? How, who are you now? Or something could go really bad and she gets teed. She goes from playful temptress, full feminine, in love with us. Like you're having that moment, you're bonding, you're looking in each other's eyes. She goes to the queen and then she turns into a bitch. And my wife calls that an acronym. Babe in total control of herself. I don't know what to do when that happens. That switch, like, I'm not ready for that switch. I've never been ready. Like, if my wife goes from playful to queen, I'm like, whoa. Like, what? Like, it's like I'm hanging with another dude. Like, <laughs> here you were, you were hot. And then all of a sudden, my wife, Erin, she's gorgeous. Like, I don't, I don't know what the fuck she saw in me. She's gorgeous. But then it's like, you're Erin, you're hot, you're gorgeous. I love you. And then all of a sudden, you're Brett. What the fuck? Oh, no fucks. Not, <laughs> not your bad, but you ain't my type. So it's like she switches to a guy. And so with these three archetypical characters that a man doesn't have, we don't understand it. So if we kind of go back to World War II where women went to work, it's not a need. For men, it is a need. Women. If that man feels respected, if that man feels valued, if that man feels empowered, if he feels like you look up to him and admire him, he is going to cherish you. 
He is going to absolutely love you, cherish you, put you on a pedestal, show you how fucking amazing you are. He's just looking for respect. Not necessarily around money. Like I, I have a CEO that runs my company. She makes a shit ton of money. Her husband does not make a shit ton of money. He's a stay-at-home dad. You know what she does? Respects the fuck out of him because he deserves it. He's a man. They made a choice in their marriage. Had nothing to do with money. Like they bring home seven figures every year. They're fine. She's better being a CEO than he is. But she shows him respect and they have fucking powerful love. And it's beautiful. Respect is not money. Money's just stored energy. So when women went to work, they found something they liked that they didn't need. They added a lot of value. The feminism movement, like a lot of movements out there, puts a lot of blame on men. Let me tell you what blame is. Being lazy and making excuses. It's another acronym. What if we learned how to language properly? We learned how to speak their language. Men, if you learned how to speak women and women, if you learned how to speak men, and we understood that dynamic creature that we're so fucking attracted to, what if we could absolutely change our entire dynamic of relationships? And by the way, change is an acronym too. Choose humble action necessary to garner excellence. And we start looking at the way these patterns can all compound our lives and we start respecting and cherishing one another. Dude, your wife doesn't need the work like you do. If she respects you for what you do, you're going to cherish that woman. And you don't need the environment like she does. You're going to respect her in that. I mean, different creatures. I mean, look, when you, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. It's like, hey, I'm going to go find a chick that likes golf and football and drinking bullshit. You find her, clone her. <laughs> yeah, interesting. And uh, one thing that came up from what you were saying before too that I think a lot of uh, relationships lack is crystal clear communication. So that's a big part of what uh, causes a lot of the internal conflict and then the relationship issues or, or what we call relationship drag um, that can be resolved through crystal clear communication To And that's what you know our relationship just thrives and is built on that because we know our differences, we know our crossovers. Uh, and if we don't crystally clearly communicate our desires and our needs and who we are and what we're striving for, then it's it's given that there's going to be these clashes because of the masculine and feminine energy. Little funny story on that too. Just on the weekend, I was with my wife's dad, and uh, he was talking about my older brother, and he said, "Yeah, uh, your older brother is he's very masculine, not like you, Brett." And I just laughed, and he did, and he said it because he knew I wouldn't be offended by it, and. Um, and he's right. And as you were talking about it, the, some of the masculinity, I've obviously been born with more of the the feminine energy as well. And I think it's it's really supported a lot of the work that I do. And um, and I've never been offended by anything like that. Where was I going with this? Oh, and uh, and then I told him some stories because I grew up in, in country Australia and hunting wild animals was quite normal uh, on foot with a knife. And that was the way that we, we made the kill. So when I told him some of those stories, he said, Oh shit! And I can't believe that I thought you weren't so masculine. So he's he's um, changing that to put masculinity towards you know the tribal way that that you talked about of um, of how it comes through. That just a funny little correlation there. I, I, I would love it. and just to clarify that, bro, and, and you do not come across so so feminine. I I've been told like. <laughs> I'm so masculine and almost no feminine. Remember I said men are born with, you know, 70, yes. 30 or whatever, but it's not like a 70, 30 or an 80, 20 or a 90, 10 that you can't manage. Like I can drop into my feminine if I'm like say 90, 10, cause I'm extreme masculine, but being 90, 10 is not a strong, that's not a strength. It's not like good to be more masculine as a man. Mm. Okay. What it is, is if I need to drop into my feminine, and I have to like hold space and have that conversation and all that. It's fucking harder for me. I can do it, but I've got to give more energy to get there. Like mm. say you're like a 60, 40 or a 70, 30, you're still very masculine. It's just, you have the ability to hold space. Like that's 70, 30. It's like, so say maybe you could hold space for four to eight hours before you need to go recharge. Mm. I can probably do it for an hour. 
And maybe I could push through and do it for three or four hours, but the level of exhaustion I'm going to experience after is going to be dynamically more than you. So like, honestly, like for men, the more balanced, that's one of the ways that women have an advantage. Women have a few advantages, okay? One, they use both sides of their brain all the time. You know when men use both sides of their brain? Two times, having notes and having sex. If you're taking notes or having sex, you use both sides of your brain. That's one of the reasons we can't handle the higher levels of estrogen when we get emasculated because our brains don't process it, okay? And a lot of emasculated men were alcoholics and authors, huh? Isn't that an interesting correlation? They had to release by writing and being authors. Weird, anyway. So, you know, you look at some of this stuff and you start thinking, oh my gosh, so there's a system? Like maybe if there's a God or universe, whatever you want to call it, you created a plan. But anyway, my point was you are not feminine you have a strong balance which honestly frankly i'm really jealous of because if my wife wants to sit down and have that four-hour conversation on the beach i can do about two and then i'm like fuck i gotta do something i gotta get something done like oh like it's balance is a strength yeah I'll accept that. Thank you. (laughs) I see that as a strength as well. Uh, Just mindful of time too and uh, so many different areas that we could have dived into. But one thing that you have done really well, uh, whether it's with your masculine energy because of it, regardless, it doesn't matter, but you've built this this entrepreneurial um, mind and drive and purpose behind it all and you've created quite a lot of uh, quote-unquote success in, in that area. And I'm one, and I know you've spent time with Tony Robbins. I love his saying, um, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And success to me has nothing to do with uh, the amount of money that we make. It's about how we um, live in congruence with the the lives that we truly desire and deserve in terms of values and mission and purpose and love and relationships and tribe and everything like that. So what I would love to to kind of wrap up with, though, is, is coming to uh, some of the um, the actual structure or um, kind of business uh, focused areas that I know that you're really good on with. I know that you have some, a guide to measuring your business through formulas. And, and you said that you, you know, you're a big formula type person. And I've heard you rattle off some, uh, some different acronyms and things like that too. But what I'd love to like leave the listeners with this last uh, section of the chat with some some take-homes around that, around some of your your formulas or your foundations around uh, measuring your your businesses through this this kind of aspect. Sure, and um, depending on how much time we got, I've got enough formulas to teach for three days. So I'm I'm, I'm going to give you kind of one that's a baseline, and it's a baseline. And it, it, it there's there's four cores to the human experience. Okay, this was a download I got sitting in a hot tub or a river or somewhere. I always meditate in water and, and, and a meditate guys. Like, like if you don't take time for you to like rebalance and focus on you, if you don't have 10 minutes a day, it doesn't have to be two hours or ohm or any of that shit, but just some thinking time to meditate your style, your way, you're fine. Cause you will get downloads and it'll help you find your purpose. But one that hit me and it was huge faith, family, fitness, finance. These are the four cores of the human experience. Okay. Now, Just like these four fingers on my hand, we know that progress equals happiness. And these four fingers may not be the same fingers, but they are tethered to one another by the hand. So if this is faith, this is family, this is fitness, this is finance, and I'm going through a divorce right now, or my wife's cheating on me or something like that, and I'm trying to push for progress, guess what? Solve the anchor. Stop looking at the money, okay? A lot of my formulas around finance, and they work. Like, I have one formula, and Brent, I'm going to send it to you. In fact, uh, I will have all of my formulas sent to you. And if you ever want a little personal class on it, so you can, like, share it with all your guys, like, use it. I, I, have the, I, do, I do, like, a course on it that people can come and take. It's like an eight-week course and all that shit. But I give it away to everyone on my social media just because finance is so fucking easy. It's so fucking easy. Like, getting rich is fucking easy. Like, I'm a guy doing hundreds of millions of dollars a year in revenue. I'm probably worth hundreds of millions now. I, I, I haven't calculated, but I've got one company that's pulling, what, $30 million? And if I sold that on a six times multiple, you do the fucking math, right? And I've got 18 businesses now. So it's like people look at the story and they judge it by the ending. They never look at the beginning. But that business is the result of me designing a formula 
around finance when I was relegated to conditional love and stress and this, that, and the other, and then opening another business and adapting the formula, and then opening another business and adapting the formula, and then going business by business by business, and all of a sudden the formula stopped adapting. I started jumping in other industries, and the formula never adapted again. We never had to change the formula. Again, the formula works in every business, every industry, everywhere. And it's 100% around finance. And do you know why? Because nobody cares shit when you talk about faith, family, fitness, even though they're the important things. But if I show you this, this one little document, right? And I say, hey, here's a formula. Problems go here. It's really simple. Okay. You have three goals of any business, alignment, simplicity, and foresight. Alignment and simplicity are the twin sisters of this thing called optimization. Foresight is the understanding that sometimes you have to make exceptions. The biggest problem most entrepreneurs have is they got successful by being exceptional, and exceptional connotates exception. And if the engine in your car made a fucking exception even once on the way to the grocery store, the car stops. So when you're building an operation, you must put 80-90% towards optimization, creating machines and processes, and a little bit towards exceptional. Because exceptional got you there, but it's not what will keep you there, and it's not what will get you to the next level. Exceptional gets you in, optimal balances you. Exceptional gets you up, optimal balances you. So it's one of the three goals to be exceptional, not two. There's a reason you have the twin sisters of optimization. They outnumber the exceptional. The next one. If we have a problem, we dump it in the top. Oh, where'd it go? Oh, one of these three. Let's learn. Then we must measure culture, clarity, capacity, cash. I'll give you an example of just one of those. And we can go in depth on this, okay? Because it's, it's very, and, and I'll, I'll give you a free session. I normally charge about two grand an hour or 30 grand a year for my high-level coaching or five grand for an eight-week course. Like, But I'll tell you what, Brett, you got three hours. I'll give that shit to you and I'll help you. But let's go measure cash. What is cash? Everybody's always looking at return on investment. Okay. If you open a business and say you put in 100 grand and you've made 100 grand in the last year, your return on investment's infinite, which means you're just stroking your fucking ego. That's uh, kind of like masturbation. It's, it's not going to be productive in any sense of the word. The shower wall will not produce children. Okay. So, like, if you're stroking your ego, get over it. How should we measure cash? Well, if we're going to measure cash, let's measure more intelligently. Instead of just ROI, when that becomes infinite, let's go to the weakest return. What about ROM, return on marketing? What about ROE, return on your energy, return on how you feel? What about ROT, return on time? What about ROD, return on debt? What about ROB, return on balance sheet equity? Holy fuck. You know which one you should measure to? The weakest one. You know when you have a company that's growing at the perfect optimized level? When return on balance sheet and return on debt are there. Which means, oh shit, debt is a good thing. Leveraging other people's money is a fantastic thing if you understand how to do it. Like, look, business is fucking easy. Everybody's just been given the wrong fucking formulas. They're all given the wrong shit. Oh, the customer's always right. Shut the fuck up. The customer's always right. The customer may be more right than my competitor's customer. He is not more right than my staff. He's not more right than my wife or children. Company's always first. Why? Because it supports all of us. Then staff. Then customer. The customer is more right than your competitor's customer, and then you better build the other two on top. Because business is not a spectator sport. You're not alone. It's a team sport. It's all about the who, not about the how. You get the right fucking people. And that's how you create a machine. That's how you create a process. And then, here's the really cool thing. We measure four things, like four legs on a table, right? If one leg's short, Guess what you should do? Expand that leg. Culture, clarity, capacity, cash. Which one of those do we expand? And then when we get to the end, business is so fucking simple, Brett. There's only six things that can change. My wife, your wife, if they like makeup, they've probably got 150 dials in a makeup drawer. They could be a different woman on Friday night than they are on Sunday morning. You know what happens if they send us into that makeup drawer to get something? We get what's called confused. Complexity is seductive, not productive. Productivity gets you paid. Selectivity gets you fucked. I really like getting fucked in my marriage. I'm not excited about it in my business. So you know what I like? I like the business opportunities for change. What can change in a business? Six things. Price, product, people, place, promotion, or last one, 
process. And you should underline, highlight, and if you got lipstick on, if you're a lady, poor man, whatever, kiss that one. Why? Because anytime you have a problem, you actually have two problems. You have the problem that is, and the problem that caused the problem that is. Every time we hit a crisis, we add a new key performance indicator because we find out what caused the crisis. We love crises. You know what that means? We get to dump a new problem in the top. It filters down. We find the solution. We not only solve the problem that is, we solve the crisis that caused it. Then we never have the same problem again. Then we grow. Now we have machines that automatically go. I have 18 of them. They're fucking wonderful. And finance is easy. You give somebody some tools that moves the needle in finance, it's the least important faith, family, fitness, finance. This one doesn't fucking matter. Your resourcefulness is far more valuable than your resources. Faith, energy in, who you are, filling your cup. Why? Because sometimes when you pour and give to others, because love is the meaning in life. Generosity is the real truth. Give versus gain. You want to smile? Give one. You'll get one. You want love? Give love. You'll get it. You want money? Be generous. More generous than anybody else. It's called a market. That makes you the market leader. Then you'll get plenty of money because you're fucking generous. It's crazy, right? Faith. Fill your cup first so you can pour to others. Then, family. Energy in is faith. Energy expressed is family. And who are you family with? Oh, shit. Well, if you believe that love is the meaning of life, I have a belief for all children of God, which means you're my brother. We haven't met yet. There's probably the majority of 8 billion people I'll never meet. But you know what? They're all out there on a journey just like me. They're all learning. If I can add a little value, if they see a fucking social media clip or a video or a podcast like what you're putting out or something that it helps them, then I lift it. Some of them put stuff that lifts me. They're all family. We're all one. You go to India, they don't have two-ness university. They have oneness university. So family is love expressed, energy expressed. You meet all your needs, you know what you become? How come every rich person on earth, for some strange reason, when all their needs are met, they have faith, family, fitness, finance. They all become philanthropic, which means they give it all away. They go spend a lot of time making it all, then they go spend a lot of time giving it away. Why? Why? Oh, maybe because a full heart gives. So faith, family. What about fitness? What about health, wellness? Oh, my God, man. I live in America. The FDA, I think it stands for fucking dumbass. Okay? Like, literally... <clears throat> Like, they're like, hey, here's a food pyramid. Here's a bunch of shit that'll make you sick. Eat it. Mm. Really? Like, what if you learned some things? What if what if you went out and did a food panel, which is also a formula, and you found out, like, I'm allergic. I didn't know this, but I, I found out I was allergic to celery and turkey and gluten. <laughs> I cut those three out. I'm 40. How's my energy level at 40, dude? I can outpace myself when I was 20, and I'm 40. My abs, all eight of them, look better at 40 than they did at 20. <laughs> my wife's happier with my performance now than she was 10 fucking years ago. Weird. Why? Because that's a formula, too. You can figure these three are the real important ones, but nobody mm. fucking listens until you give them a little bit of the finance. So hopefully you guys all got that ROI is bullshit. Go look at the other things. Spike yourself. I'll, 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 I'll have Anna. Like, I think you're communicating with Anna, right? I'll have her send you all these documents, man. Fucking giveaway. If people have questions, they can message me on my social media. They can ask. I mean, I mean, we answer. I, I want people to have financial success. I get, like, literally at least one or two a month, probably sometimes one a week, which is fantastic. Hey, dude, I did my first million in revenue this year for, like, 20-year-old kids. Mm. And right now... We got the worst situation economically that's ever happened since the Great Depression. Which you want some funny shit there? Huh. The Great Depression, one of the catalysts was a war over treaty agreements by an Austrian dictator. Mm. Huh. Now we have a war over treaty agreements by a Russian dictator. Huh. Every crash has an epicenter. Dot-com boom in the 90s, mortgage-backed securities 2008. There was government overreach uh, and basically you know, back and forth with the, what we called the robber barons back then, conservative politicians. Now you've got government overreach, only it's with liberal politicians. You had one of the robber barons named Pierpont Morgan. He dissented. He said, no, I'm not going to help you anymore. I'm done with your ass. Now we're seeing that with this guy named Elon Musk. I mean, literally, it's like history fucking repeating itself with a few little differences. We are going to fucking crash and burn, which means if you're an entrepreneur, you should get so damn excited. You're the creator. You grow flowers and shit, brother. And you know, we got a lot of shit. Mm. How do you grow a flower? Take a wannabe flower, shove it in a pile of shit, 
Add a little water a few weeks later, people lean down six inches above shit to smell of flour. All of the people that you have on this podcast, and I hope they all share it and be generous and give it and blow it up. I'll share it. I'll make sure that all my people see your stuff. I hope that they all know that they're the creators. They're what's going to be participants in the largest transfer of wealth. The shit's coming. You're the seeds. Fucking A, go get rich. You know, maybe money doesn't buy happiness, but you can't afford poverty either. Let's get rich, motherfucker. Anyway, I'm sorry. Rich on, rich on all the pillars. No, every obstacle is an opportunity. I love that and uh, need to be prepared and, and, and lean in. So that's great. I will uh, link your all your details in the show notes, um, but where is the, the best place that people can uh, follow you? Is it Instagram? Uh, is there YouTube? What What's the best place that people can follow you? And in the same breath, how can we support you on your journey? You know, honestly, follow me. I think it's at uh, the at symbol and then the Preston Brown. It's Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook. I think it's the Preston Brown or Preston Brown. Please follow me on all of them. And then my goal now, I don't have a money need. Just share the content. Give it away. Like share, share the documents. Information should be free. I have no nothing against a good coach. I mean, I'm a coach. I charge people to coach. But I I believe coaching should be like a personal trainer and content should be like a gym. I think the gym should be fucking free. Everyone should have access to health. Now, if you decide that you need somebody behind you to yell, run, motherfucker, while you're on the treadmill, that's fine. Go get a coach and have the personal trainer. He'll help. But all of my content, please give it away to people. Like fucking send it out everywhere. You know, I've had gurus come after me. Because they were like, oh, he's using my content. I'm like, no, I'm not. I have my own, motherfucker. Like, I mean, hey, I did pay to hear some of yours, but like, I have my own content. I don't need your fucking content. I have business content you don't fucking have. I've had gurus, big ones. I mean, I don't want to mention names, but I think you probably know who some of them are. But I've had big ones come after me. I believe content should be free. I believe everyone should be lifted up. And I think if those gurus were congruent, they would believe that same shit. But whatever, maybe they're in for the money. I'm in for the impact, man. I'm in for like life impact. That's what we need, Brett. So share my shit and let's get that out. That's what we're all about here, mate. So thank you. That's a good way to wrap it up. I'll put all your links in the show notes. People can uh, absorb your content and, uh, as you said, share the shit out of it. So everyone listening, once you absorb the content, share the shit out of it so everyone can win. Preston, you're a legend. You're a man on a mission with uh, an inspiring purpose and just this insatiable drive to consistently show up as the genuine best version of yourself keep shining your impactful light to the world my man thank you for having me brother i'm honored to be on your show there you go now that is a man on a mission with a lot of knowledge and stories to share if you're keen to hear preston's formulas you can follow him on instagram or facebook and message him to say that you heard him on this podcast and that you're keen to learn about his formulas for measuring and generating business success. You heard him say it himself. He loves to just give it away. He wants to create a world of successful entrepreneurs and he believes that his formulas can help get you there. I've also linked in the show notes the two books that he was referring to, Keys to the Kingdom and The Clean Scope. One final reminder that if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it around with a friend or 10 who you believe will also get value from it. Keep thriving, legends. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.